What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Guggenheim. And it is crazy that we are in the offseason here. I feel like the season went so quickly, but we are still going to bring you content every Friday. That's, that's going to be the goal. I'm going to post that on Twitter and Instagram later this week. But Friday mornings is when we'll be posting different things, whether it be the second signing day, whether it be the NFL draft, talking about different rumors like Jim Harbaugh maybe going back to the NFL. We're going to talk about all that and more over the next several months as we do the podcast. If you like the content, make sure to like and subscribe. Uh, I, I've been saying we're doing YouTube. This is going to be on YouTube, I promise. But we're also going to obviously have this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us, leave a review, and uh, we would absolutely covet your feedback. We're going to talk about three things uh, today, and hopefully it's not too late to talk about these things, but we're going to talk about the final Big Ten Power Rankings, my final Big Ten Power Rankings, kind of as we wrap up the season, and then what happens after the national championship game is everybody and their brother comes out with way too early top 25s. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to critique someone who put out a top 25, particularly the worldwide leader known as ESPN. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about way too early impressions. And then we're going to talk about the buzz around Jim Harbaugh. Who knows, maybe by the time that this podcast releases at 7 a.m. on Friday morning, Maybe he's already taken a new job with the Raiders. I don't know. But we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the potential impact of that. And we're going to, we're, that's what we're going to kind of end with uh, as we get, uh, get into it. So the first, first thing I want to talk about, talk about the final Big Ten Power Rankings. I'm going to go from 1 to 14. Number one should not be a surprise. It's Michigan. It's absolutely Michigan. And before people start Hemming and Hahn is like, did you see what happened to them in the, in the game against Georgia? I did. It was Georgia. Georgia was ridiculously good this year. Georgia's going to do that to pretty much everybody except Alabama. The first time they played them, they were healthy. They had time to rest. And, you know, I think Michigan, if they had gotten Georgia the week after the conference championship games, I think they would have been a lot uh, better off. Instead, they got Georgia after a few weeks rest. They got some time to, to rejuvenate, to re-energize. But big, make no mistake about it. Michigan was the best team in the Big Ten. They proved it against Ohio State. They dominated Michigan State for a good chunk of the game that they played. I know Michigan State valiantly came back. But, uh, you know, that was Michigan's only loss up to the Georgia game. They beat Ohio State. They won the Big Ten Championship game. They are obviously the number one team in my power rankings. Number two, obviously, is Ohio State. Ohio State really struggled defensively against Utah. Utah was the number 11 team in the country. And my argument about why that actually meant something for Ohio State is Ohio State had like 27 players out for that game. They were down seven starters in that game, and they still won. Utah might have been the hottest team coming into the Rose Bowl uh, in the country, and Ohio State was able to pull that game out. 
Now, the defense is awful, and we're going to talk about that later. But Ohio State, clearly the number two team in the Big Ten. They finished at 11-2, and and they were clearly better than when they showed against Oregon in week two because they were able to stand up against Utah. And Utah, obviously, they ran Oregon off the field twice. So Ohio State, the number two team, the other, the, the other reason why they're number two is because they beat the number three team 56 to seven. That's Michigan State. Michigan State had a great year, 11 and two, beat uh, a pit team that wasn't at full strength. Uh, their, their quarterback, Kenny Pickett, was out. But to Michigan State's credit, they also had their star running back, Kenneth Walker, out of that game, and they still pulled it out, beat the ACC champs. Michigan State had a great year under Mel Tucker. Just a phenomenal year. Uh, Mel Tucker deserved every bit of his signing extension. Um, really good, really excited for him. I think he's going to make Michigan State into a really, really good program over the next couple of years. Number four is Iowa. It, it Four through seven was very hard for me to place because I think they were all comparable. They all played each other. They're all West teams. I'm not going to dock Iowa for losing to Kentucky. I didn't like how Kirk Ferentz made the decision to not go for it uh, on fourth down, but ultimately they were 10 and four. They won the West. Uh, they won when they had to and other teams didn't. So they get, they get the uh, distinction of being in the four spot. I've got Minnesota at five uh, at nine and four. The reason why I've got Minnesota at five is they beat Wisconsin and they beat Purdue. So that's why they're at five. Wisconsin at six because they beat Purdue and they were nine and four. And then Purdue, I've got at seven. I would argue that Purdue overachieved the most. I thought they played, especially in tennis against Tennessee. I was impressed by how they were able to keep going despite the fact that they lost so many receivers. George Karloftis was out. David Bell was out. At one point, their top three receivers were out of that game, and yet they kept coming. And it's a big win because they beat a traditional SEC power. And just as an aside, you might bristle at the words SEC power being associated with Tennessee. You have to understand, Tennessee, in the history of the SEC, has won the third most conference championships. People are frustrated when Tennessee are seven and five. Compare that to Kentucky, who they're like seven and five is a really good season, right? So t- Tennessee is a big name. It's different beating a seven and five Tennessee than it is beating a seven and five Vanderbilt. And so it was a big win for Purdue. Really excited for where their program is headed under Jeff Brom. But they are at the seven spot. That's uh, the top half, half of the Big Ten. Let me run through the, the bottom half real quick. Number eight is Penn State. I thought they really fell off at the end of the season. Uh, I thought they missed opportunities to get wins against Illinois, against Michigan State. I thought they could have been a 10-win team, and instead they, they finished seven and six. I wasn't super surprised by the bowl loss, especially as all their players opted out. Uh, but a disappointing season. And honestly, I think there's a lot of questions that need to be asked about James Franklin's future. Um, they're at eight. Maryland at nine. They finished seven and six. 
this is progress for Michael Oxley's program. You know, to be at nine, to not be in the basement of the Big Ten, that's a big deal for them. Uh, number 10, similarly, Rutgers, another five and eight, and they did not look like they belonged against Wake Forest. But realize they still have a lot of upgrading on that roster to do, and they won five games. They played in that bowl game without their top four players, top two players on each, each side of the ball. So the fact that Rutgers even played that bowl game was admirable. And I, I think the best is yet to come for Greg Shannon, squad at Rutgers. I think the same is true for Illinois under Brett Bielema. I have them at 11. Um, I think they are, uh, I, I think Illinois has real opportunity to improve. They, they won some games that no one expected them to win. Uh, they, you know, they beat Nebraska, they beat Penn state. Uh, they had another win in there. Uh, they beat Minnesota. So had some, you know, the, they lost the games that I expected them to lose, but they also won games that I didn't expect them to win. So Illinois at, at the 11 spot, I've got Nebraska at 12. Um, really for the sole reason that they were competitive in every single game. They were three and nine. They, they stunk this year, but they were at least competitive. They were just allergic to losing or allergic to winning, I should say. Uh, 13 and 14, I, I, I think you could alternate both of these. I've got Northwestern at 13 and Indiana at 14. I think they're interchangeable. Indiana, I thought started, I thought they, they looked like they could win games in the first half of the season. And then it seemed like as soon as Ohio State took them to the woodshed in mid-October, they just, the wheels fell off. And I was, that was probably the most shocking thing. Northwestern, I thought, would do well this year, but they tend to kind of flip-flop a bit. Um, one year, they'll be great. The next year, they'll be terrible. So I, no, I'm not too surprised by that. Um, so I've got Northwestern 13, Indiana at 14. At some point, I want to I want to go through the schedules of of these teams for 2022. Kind of give you my way too early projections for those, and then as as things continue to progress, recruiting and transfer portal and uh, coaching hires, kind of give you an idea of what I think the the projected uh, schedules will be, or not projected schedules, projected records will be. Uh, as we get closer to the season. I want to go to the way too early impressions. And if, if you're on YouTube, I'm going to share my, my screen with you to kind of give you an idea of where I'm pulling this from. We're going to ESPN uh, to the website. For those of you who can't, who can't see what's going on, um, I will try to share over audio what's actually happening here. So on ESPN, the day after the national championship game, they, they put out per usual, their way too early top 25, which is kind of taking into account who they think is coming back, who is projected to leave. And what do we think they're, you know, how they should be ranked at the beginning of the season. Couple caveats here. I hate preseason rankings. Like I really hate preseason rankings because it, it, what it does is it, it gives you an unfair presupposition 
to judge everything by. So Clemson was ranked super high, despite the fact they were like two and three to start the season. Why? Because they were ranked third to start to, uh, to start the year. And so it took like three losses for them to get kicked out of the poll. So I don't like these, but I think they do add some value as we talk about it. Just say, okay, who, who is maybe overvalued? Who is undervalued? And so I'll just kind of run down the top 25. If you're listening uh, at, on Apple or Google or any of that, uh, I'll just kind of go through the list. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Ohio State. Three is Georgia. Four, Texas A&M. Five, Michigan. Six, Notre Dame. Seven is Utah. Eight, NC State. Nine is Oklahoma State. Ten, Michigan State. Eleven, Clemson. Oregon, 12. Houston, 13. Wake Forest, 14. Iowa, 15. Baylor, 16. Oklahoma, 17. BYU, 18. Cincinnati, 19. Arkansas, 20. Kentucky, 21. USC, 22. Ole Miss, 23. Wisconsin, 24. And South Carolina, South Carolina, 25. And it's important to note, as you look at these, this is not, you have to project losses for people, right? So people are going to be like, why is Alabama number one? They just lost to Georgia, who is number three. Why, why is that the case? Because they're projecting who Georgia is losing, and they're losing a lot. Uh, in fact, I just saw that uh, in addition to losses like Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean, Deryan Kendrick, James Cook, they're also losing uh, Jermaine Burton to the transfer portal, and he's one of their better receivers. That's a big loss for them. Now, they have a, a really nice recruiting class coming in, but it, there's not as much stability there. So I can understand why they are number three. As you can see, my, my show notes are up if you're looking, looking at YouTube. Um, but the, the thing, so I want to, I want to talk through kind of my overvalued, undervalued, and just right rankings. And so let me, let me first talk about who I think is overvalued my, my three teams that I think are overvalued. The first team is the Michigan Wolverines. I know I just said they were easily the, the, the top team in 2021. They won the Big Ten. They obviously should be number one in the Big Ten power rankings. I think they are in a world of trouble for next year. And it's not just because I don't like Michigan. They are losing the very thing that made them great this year, which is their defensive line. They're losing Hutchinson. They're losing Ajabo. They're losing Christopher Hinton at defensive tackle, which is a, a bigger loss than I think people want to give them credit for. They're losing Hassan Haskins, who is their, you know, their bull rush running back. I mean, he was just a load to bring down. They're losing almost their entire secondary in Hawkins, Gray, Daxton Hill. And Daxton Hill in particular is a huge loss. Josh Ross is leaving. And so their calling card defense is gone. Now, their schedule is very favorable. Like I think they're playing UConn and a couple other non-power five uh, easy wins. They don't have, they don't have uh, any power five teams in the non-conference. They, 
I think their crossover games are fairly, I think it's Nebraska. And then I th- I'm trying to remember who the other two are off the top of my head. Their schedule sets up well, aside from having to travel to Columbus for, uh, for their game against Ohio State. That being said, that's a lot of turnover on their dominant side of the ball. And while I think there's a lot of promise with J.J. McCarthy, you're, you're talking about a, a quarterback controversy with uh, Kate McNamara and McCarthy. M- McCarthy's not, not going to want to sit the bench. And then there's a lot of question marks about Jim Harbaugh, which we'll talk about in a minute. So I've got, I think they're a little overvalued. I wouldn't say they're like super overvalued that you should drop them to lower than 10, but I don't think they should be top five. So they are my first overvalued team. My second overvalued team is NC State. You want to know why NC State was nine and three this year? Because the ACC stinks. And it was grossly overvalued this year. Clemson will not be that bad again. And we'll get to them in a minute. I think UNC will be better because of the way they recruit, they've recruited. And I don't really care that they bring back 18 starters. I just don't, I just am not, they overachieved this year with a nine win season. And while their, their non-conference schedule is manageable, they, they play East Carolina, Charleston, Southern Texas Tech and UConn. I don't trust NC state to be, you know, to be a top 10 team, maybe a top 20 team but you've got them at eight. They're, they're just, they don't have the talent and I don't care that they play in the ACC. I don't, I, I don't think they get out of their, their schedule without at least two losses. They're not a top 10 team. They're just not. And then the, the, my last under or overvalued team is the Oregon ducks uh, at 10 and four. They were 10 and four this, this past year, but they showed against power teams. They got their butts kicked. They, they lose Kayvon Thibodeau, they, use Mika- they lose Mikhail Wright, they lose DJ James, they lose Verone McKinley. Th- those are all studs. They lose Anthony Brown as a quarterback. They bring in Bo Nix, which is, you know, yay. Uh, okay, whatever. They do bring back Noah Sewell, who's a, a really, really good linebacker, as well as Deontay, uh, Dante Matt- Manning. But they got curb stomped by a, a, a admittedly good Utah team twice. But I just don't, I, I think especially with the coaching change, losing Mario Cristobal, that's, that's just a tough ask. I think Oregon is probably a top 25 team, but not a top 12 team, especially with the coaching change. They also, they get Georgia at the beginning of the season. They're not beating Georgia. like just the strength of the lines is going to be so like so much in favor of the Bulldogs at the beginning of the year. So I, those are my three overvalued. Let me tell you the three undervalued teams. The first one is Clemson. And you might think, well, but Brent Venables is leaving and their offense was not very good last year. And if here's the thing, if you look at Clemson's, recruiting rankings they're going to be a top five most talented team again dj uyangale 
is back. He has a whole season under, under his belt. He started to get a little bit better at the end of the season. And if he can't cut it, they have Cade Klubnick coming in, uh, five-star get, kid, number one quarterback in the class. He's going to push him. They have a ton of talent. The guys who they're losing, I, I don't mean this to be rude, but James Skalski, Nolan Turner, Xavier Thomas, like they're, they're, they were good leaders, good locker room guys. There's a reason why they didn't leave after their fifth year, and they, uh, particularly Skalski and, and Turner because they weren't going to make it in the NFL. Um, they might be sixth or seventh round picks and that's it. Xavier Thomas is probably not, I don't know if he's going to be a draftable pick. Maybe he'll be a late round pick. They've got guys coming back. Will Shipley will be healthy. Uh, Brian Brissy will be back healthy. Remember he, he uh, I think got injured in the NC state game. So I think Clemson is going to be a top, you know, is going to be, is going to be a top five, top seven team. They're going to be on the fringe of playoff discussion because of the talent coming back. And aside from Notre Dame, their, their schedule is kind of easy. Um, unless if Florida State can kind of get back into the swing of things, which I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, second undervalued team, the Kentucky Wildcats. They are 21 on here. Clemson was 11. Kentucky was tw- is 21. Listen, they went 10 and three. They beat a, a pretty good Iowa team in the, uh, the Gator Bowl. No, Outback Bowl, the Outback Bowl. They have 14 returning starters and including their, uh, their quarterback, Will Levis, the Penn State transfer. And I'll tell you, they just keep continue to trend upward. Their, their crossover games are fairly easy in the, West, in the SEC West, easy non-conference. And I don't think they beat Georgia, but I, I could easily see 10 and two, maybe even 11 and one. And if they get to 10 wins in the SEC, I don't care if they have a, a cushy schedule, they're going to be a top 15 team minimum, minimum. So to have them at 21, I think is, is, is pretty, I think that's really low for them. And then number 22, I've got the Southern Cal Trojans. Now, look, I know they're four and eight. Their recruiting class this year looks terrible. You've got to look at the transfer portal because Lincoln Riley, who's coming over from Oklahoma, he's bringing all the Oklahoma guys with him. A lot of people think, I don't know if it's confirmed yet that Caleb Williams is going to USC. I think he's still out there. If, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry that I, I, I should have checked before the show. But USC... I think is a dark horse playoff team. They play in a weak conference. They play in a weak division in the conference. Uh, really, I, I don't think they do have to play Utah. That's, a, that's going to be a tough, tough team. They have to play UCLA. That'll be a tough team. But I just think Lincoln Riley, he, he's stepping into that job. He's stepping in early. Like he didn't come in, in February or March. He came in December. And so he's he's establishing who he wants there. He's getting a lot of his guys. I I just think it's I think by the end of the season, USC is going to be a fringe playoff team. And I, I'm I'm considering putting them in my playoff predictions as we get to July August. So there's a lot of there's a lot there that still has to happen. But 
I think USC watch out because they've got the coach. They've got a lot of talent coming in in the transfer portal. So I, I like USC. Let me, let me just say three that I think are just right. Number one is the number one team, Alabama. They have the best quarterback returning. They have the best defensive player returning in, Will, in uh, Bryce Young and Will Anderson, respectively. They're getting a really good running back in Jameer Gibbs uh, through the transfer portal. They're getting Eli Ricks through the transfer portal at cornerback, which was a big need for them. They do need receivers. Uh, Mechie and, and Williams uh, heading out is probably going to be really tough to replace, but they've got four and five star guys. They just need to train them up. So I, I think Bama makes sense. It's easy, but I think that they are more prepared to make another run than Georgia is at this point. The, 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 the second team I have that's just right is Ohio State. And I don't say this just, you know, Georgia, to me, it's a toss up between Ohio State and Georgia. Georgia is losing over half of the elite defense that they had. Ohio State is returning their best, like a top two quarterback in the country, four fifths of their offensive line, and they're getting uh, Paris Johnson in his natural position at left tackle, which I think is huge for them. They have Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Ryan Day has cleared house on the defensive side of the ball. And you're seeing guys come in the transfer portal to help shore up that defense. Tanner McAllister, uh, there's another corner from Oklahoma State that might be following Jim Knowles to Ohio State. So there's a lot of, of talent. There's a lot of uh, coaching talent coming over, um, just the way that he's uh the way that Ryan Day is constructing that coaching staff, I think is a big deal. So I, I like Ohio State at two. And then the third that I think is just right is Oklahoma at 17. They lose a lot of players. I think they have seven returning starters. And it says on the on the website, four, four, and one. But that's before Caleb, Caleb Williams said he was uh, entering the transfer portal. I like... Brent Venables, I think he's going to do a good job there. But I just think it's it's going to be a tough, tough ask. The Big 12 is a winnable conference. But I just I just don't think – I think Oklahoma is going to miss out for the second year in a row. I think this is, this is a good ranking for them. They'll probably end up around 9-3 is my guess, having to play Baylor and Texas and Oklahoma State. I don't think – I don't know if they lose – each one of those games, but I, I think that's going to be tough. Also sneaky game. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but they play Nebraska in Lincoln and that could be a really tough game for them. So I think 17 is, is, is a good spot for them. So th that's my reaction to the way too early top 25. Let me take a quick break. And then we will talk about Jim Harbaugh. Welcome back to the big 10 football talk podcast. There's been a lot of rumors about Jim Harbaugh whether he might take the Las Vegas Raiders job. There's, there's a number of other NFL jobs he was linked to as well. There's, there's a lot of speculation. Is he using this as a way to essentially get more money from Michigan? He did have to take a pay cut last year. So is he trying to renegotiate that, get that, uh, get that back on track? There's a lot of different reactions on social media on what this could mean. 
And so I want to get to a couple questions here with, with Harbaugh. One is, is Harbaugh leaving for the NFL better than staying at Michigan? And how should the rest of the Big Ten feel about whether Jim Harbaugh should stay or go? And so I want to answer that first question first. Is leaving for the NFL better for Jim Harbaugh than staying at Michigan? And I think that's a complex question because despite the fact that Michigan won, beat Ohio State this year, and despite the fact that they got to the playoff this year, I don't think that is something you can count on on a regular basis. At least not yet. Now, if Jim Harbaugh would stay another couple of years and get another upset or two over Ohio State in the next three or four years, I think the recruiting, the, the recruiting would start to swing a little bit more in, in Michigan's favor. I think they would be able to compete more nationally for recruits. I think they'd, they would be able to start being more even with Ohio State rather than being seen as an underdog. Just, just for context, Vegas has Michigan right now as a 13 and a half point underdog against Ohio State in November. And so there's this reality, like even this year, you know, Michigan was the number five team in the country going into that game. And they were, I think, nine and a half point underdogs. They were, they were sizable underdogs going into that game. And obviously they proved the doubters wrong. Good for them. But there's, there is a reality that Michigan is still swimming upstream to catch Ohio State. And the other thing, and it's not Ohio State related, it's, it's Big Ten related. The Big Ten East is, is arguably the best division in college football. Now, the, I think the SEC West has a lot to say about that too, but Michigan State's getting better. Penn State is kind of treading water, but imagine if James, if James Franklin can get things back to where they were, or if they fire him and they get a better coach and you know, really maximize the talent there. You know, you're playing three top 15 caliber teams in your own division. And then you've got, you know, you don't know if you're going to get Wisconsin, Iowa, Purdue over from the West. That's, that's a tough ask. And that's not even including if you have a a really tough non-conference power five game. And so you're competing with the toughest division in college football just to get a spot in the conference championship game. And then you got to win the conference championship game to get to the playoff, which is only open to four teams. And you're swimming upstream. You're swimming upstream from the alpha, which is Ohio State. So I could see from one perspective, it would really make sense for Harbaugh. This is the, maybe the best time for Harbaugh to jump. He just beat Ohio State. He just had a playoff appearance. And it, it, the sting of that loss is lost a bit because Georgia won. It would have been really bad if Alabama curb stomped Georgia. But the reality is Georgia beat Bama by two scores. Now, that game was in the balance far more than the Michigan-Georgia game was. But the reality is they lost to the national champs, and they lost to an elite defense, and it was a bad matchup for them. So 
Harbaugh's profile may never be higher. And so for his own kind of benefit and, and deal and prestige, this may not be, there may not be a better time for him. On the flip side, I don't know if Jim Harbaugh is fireable from Michigan. Uh, you know, the, the guy that, that keeps coming to mind uh, is Paul Feinbaum. And he, he routinely makes fun of Jim Harbaugh. And he says that he is, you know, he's no better than Brady Hoke. Now, I've argued on this podcast before that that is an absolutely terrible take. Because Brady Hoke started out really well in a really bad Big Ten. And so he got to a, a BCS bowl. I think it was the Sugar Bowl against Virginia Tech, who is not a very good uh, BCS team at that, like BCS participant. It was, a, you know, the second best team in the ACC, or it was when the ACC was bad and, you know, every ACC champ lost in every bowl game that they were in. So I'm, I'm forgetting if they, if they were the champs or not. I think they were the champs that year. And so they beat Virginia Tech. They, they beat the worst iteration of Ohio State in, in two decades. And, and then Brady Hoke got worse and worse and worse. And then Jim Harbaugh comes in, immediately has a 10-win season. The next year is immediately thrust into the playoff conversation. And then they have a rough year in 2017. They're in playoff consideration until they get to Ohio State in 2018. 2019, they, they kind of fell flat. 2020 was just bad all around. And then they get to the playoff this year, beat Ohio, beat a really good Ohio State team. Like as bad as their defense was, they beat a Rose Bowl winning Ohio State team that went 11 and two. That's very different than Brady Hoke beating Ohio State at six and seven under sanctions. It's just not a comparison. And the fact that Jim Harbaugh has done that, where that program is right now, I don't know if you get Michigan, I don't know if you get Michigan to an elite level, at least in the next three to five years. And, and so the fact that he beat Ohio State this year, you know, he's one in five, I think, against Ohio State. You know, that's not a good record, but I think he, he lasts quite a long time if he's winning one out of every five. And that, that sounds bad, but if he starts winning one of, out of every five, he starts to put them in a better position to be a more elite level team in the future because he's getting a win here and there against Ohio State. He's getting to the Big Ten championship game. They're no longer a team that has never been to the Big Ten championship game. They're no longer a team that's never been to the playoff. And that's a big deal. And so I, I just don't think, I, Harbaugh has immense job security. And I, I think from that perspective, I don't like, I would be surprised if this isn't just a power play for him to get more money from Michigan. Because the NFL is, it's a hard, it's a hard life. Careers are short. Now you bounce around, but head coaching careers, if you miss like, and I mean, he was great in San Francisco two years after he made the Super Bowl, he was fired. 
Now, part of that was personality clash and, and whatnot, but you got to understand he's probably at Michigan until he retires at this point, unless if he you know just completely goes into the toilet. Whereas in the NFL, he gets the Raiders. If they miss the playoffs, you know, two out of three years, he's gone. Or if he ticks off the GM, he's gone. So I, I think it's more advantageous for Harbaugh to stay at Michigan. Now, how should the rest of the Big Ten feel about that? Uh, I think, as, as t- texting someone about this, I think Ryan Day is fine with it. I think he can beat Jim Harbaugh. I think, I think it's good for the rivalry to be a rivalry. So the fact that they, you know, Michigan beat Ohio State, you know, there's no more platitudes now about Ohio State saying, well, we take this game seriously every year. They can, they can see the game, the game film, how they got pushed around over and over again. I think they, they, they want payback. So I, think, I don't think Ohio State's worried about uh, Jim Harbaugh staying. I think the teams that really would like Harbaugh to move on are teams like Penn State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, because when Michigan is down, similar to when Penn State is down, teams like Michigan State, Iowa, Wisconsin, um, they are the teams that benefit the most. They start to raise their profile a bit as the second, third, and fourth, you know, fourth best teams in the Big Ten. They're the teams that that would like to see Harbaugh move on because I'll tell you, if Harbaugh moves on, I don't think they get a coach that can continue the success that Michigan's had. Michigan's had success, um, especially compared to 2007 to 2014. I think it's four 10-win seasons, uh, several top 15 finishes, top 10 finishes, a win over Ohio State, that, that's a big deal. And I think those programs would like to see Jim Harbaugh leave because they're not going to get someone better. They're not going to get someone who understands the culture of Michigan. Um, and they're not going to get someone who has the profile of, of Jim Harbaugh. Uh, someone had thrown around the idea that they might hire uh, someone uh, internally, maybe Mike McDonald, who's the linebackers coach, who uh, came over from the Ravens, that wouldn't be a good decision for Michigan because he's been in the college game one year. He's just learning recruiting. Now, I'm sure he's a bright mind, but he's a linebacker's coach. And it just, it, he doesn't have enough experience. Uh, Mike Hart has been, the running backs coach has been thrown around. Josh Gaddis has gotten thrown around. None of those guys inspire confidence that they could get get the job done like Jim Harbaugh could. So I, I think I think Jim Harbaugh can easily keep Michigan in the two three spot, and I think over the next five to ten years he can raise the profile to to be neck and neck with Ohio State. Um, and so for me, I, I think it's better for the Big Ten that Harbaugh stays. I think it's better for Jim Harbaugh to stay. I think, I, I think that could work, but I, I'll say this. I think if he goes to the NFL, I think he'll be successful. I, I don't think he'll be like Urban Meyer 
um, which we're going to talk about later on. But I, I, I think Jim Harbaugh is a, he's a really good coach. He's been successful everywhere he's went. Um, he's raised the profile of the franchise or college program that he's been at wherever he's gone. And I, I think that'd be, that'd be the case with Las Vegas as well. So um, I hope Jim Harbaugh stays. I, I think, you know, as, as much as, as, as the Ohio State fan in me makes fun of him uh, and all of his goofy mannerisms, he's a heck of a coach. And I think Michigan is lucky to have him. So uh, that's it for the Big Ten Football Talk podcast. Next week, a uh, couple things that we'll talk about. We'll talk about uh, the whole Urban Meyer situation. It's a few weeks removed, but and he, he's not a Big Ten guy anymore, but he obviously has a lot of Big Ten roots being uh, a big-time Ohio State coach. And so I want to I talk more about him and about why I don't think it worked for him in the NFL. Also going to talk about NIL, name, image, and likeness, and why Nick Saban, when he was warning or when he was talking about NIL, a lot of people accused him of whining about NIL and how he's going to be in trouble. That's why he's whining about it. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you right now, he's not whining about it. He's threatening. He's threatening. And I'll, I'll talk more about that next week, but this has been the big 10 football talk podcast. Thanks for listening again, like subscribe, follow us wherever you get your podcasts and uh, follow us on YouTube. Thanks. God bless.